Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Thank you for making this message a part of your week. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we would love for you to visit our tribe family. We meet on Sundays at the Snow King Conference Center. And if you'd like to know more about us, you can find us online or on Facebook by searching tribejh.com. If you have a Bible with you this morning, please turn to the book of Leviticus. No, no, no. Let's go to Song of Solomon. Let's go to a spicy book. Yeah, the opposite. Let's not go, let's not go with some of those uh, kind of legal things. Let's go to a spicy book this morning, Song of Solomon. If you've never turned to Song of Solomon, who knows, maybe you've got a Bible and those pages are stuck together because it's new and you've never even been into the book of Song of Solomon. It's just past Psalms. And you'll, you'll find it right there, Song of Solomon. And we're going to look at the last chapter of Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter 8. And while you are turning to Song of Solomon chapter 8, let me set this message up. I believe that, that today's message is a, is a little bit for us as a church as we go into 2020. I believe that this message is mostly for you. And of course, it's always for, for me. You, do you realize that? Maybe some preachers get up here and they've got it all dialed in and they're just like trying to teach you and like help you out. And But just so you know, most of the messages that I preach, well, okay, let's be honest. All of the messages that I preach from this stage to you, I first had to preach to myself over and over and over. And most of them are a repetition for me because perhaps I'm the most needy person in the whole room that needs it. So give yourself, give yourself a hand that you're doing better than me. So this message certainly is for me. I believe it's partly for tribe. And I and I definitely believe that it's for, for you in here and maybe even for somebody specifically in here today. As it relates to tribe, I think that this year will perhaps be the most significant year of tribe's existence. If you've been with us at tribe since the beginning, we're, we're three years old. We uh, are starting our, our fourth year of being a church. Lisa and I have been in full-time ministry for uh, 20 years, but this is the first time that we have planted a church. This is the first time that we've been lead pastors of a church. And as long as Tribe has been around for three short years, I believe that this year is going to be the most significant of all of the years of, of Tribe I believe it's going to be significant in terms of breakthrough. I believe that it's going to be the most significant in terms of challenges. I believe it's going to be the most significant in terms of uh, rewarding and fulfilling for those of us that are not just pew-sitting Christians, but we're in the game doing the work of the local ministry. And I believe that it's going to be significantly impactful. This year of ministry at Tribe is going to be significantly impactful to not just those of us at Tribe, but also in this city and in this region. So if you're taking notes, you can just write that down and let's check it out on Tribe's fourth birthday, all right? Song of Solomon, chapter 8. And I'm going to read two verses to you all the way at the end of the chapter. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14 to you. Young man, 
is speaking, he starts speaking and he says this, Oh, my darling, lingering in the gardens, your companions are fortunate to hear your voice. Let me hear it too. And the young woman responds with, Come away, my love, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spice. So I've said this before, but it's worth saying so that we're all on the same page. Whenever we read from the book of Song of Solomon, the idea of Song of Solomon, it is a poetic love story. It's meant to be a beautiful and complex allegory of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church of Jesus Christ, but also specifically each and every single person. So whenever the young man speaks, that's Jesus speaking to the church or to you, to your heart. Whenever the young woman speaks, believe it or not, whether you agree with it or not, that is the cry of your heart. The voice of the young woman is the deepest cry of the human heart in response. So if you ever want to know what's going on in your heart, just read Song of Solomon and look for every time the young woman speaks. You will hear the human heart. You will hear your heart talking to God. At the beginning of Song of Solomon, she says, dark am I, tanned by the sun, dark like the tents of Kendar. And it's this idea that she's been out in the world system. She's messed up. She's, she's failed. She's broken. She isn't perfect. But yet there's this longing in her heart for connection with the young man. And that's, that, that's so true of every human heart. Who in here is perfect? Who in here has done it all right? We've all lived under the world systems where the sun beats down and it's, it's, it's stained us, it's tainted us. But, but we have a hunger and a desire and a cry for intimacy with the Lord. And if you ever want to know what Jesus thinks about you, I would point you to two places. Number one, I would point you to the cross because it's the single greatest demonstration of act of his love towards you. He didn't just say, hey, I love you. But he demonstrated his love by dying on the cross for you. Number one, second place I'd tell you to look is, look at the voice of the young man. Every single time he opens his mouth to speak to the young woman, look at the words that he uses. Beautiful, intimate, poetic, whew, hot language of just, of just a, this, this insatiable desire to be as close as possible, closer even than a husband and a wife as they come together in union. Like, and, and, and we can't think of anything closer than that, but that's the language that the young man uses because he's so intent on there being zero barriers between him and your heart. He says, with one glance of your eye, you've ravished my heart, my beautiful one, my bride. Verse 13 and 14. Let me read this to you from the Passion Translation, a little bit different angle. He says this, my beloved, one with me in my garden, how marvelous that my friends, the brides-to-be, now hear your voice in song. Let them hear it again. And then she says, arise, my darling, come quickly, my beloved. Come and be, be the graceful gazelle with me. Come be like a dancing deer with me. We will dance in the high places of the sky. Yes, on the mountains of fragrant spice. Forever we shall be united as one. 
If you're taking notes this morning, at the top of your notes, you can write the title of this morning's message. The title of this morning's message is A Distinct Odor. A Distinct Odor. Everybody sniff a couple of times. Turn to your neighbor and say, is that you? A Distinct Odor. That's the title of this morning's message. Let me explain what's happening in verse 13 and 14. In verse 13, the young man says, My beloved, I love how he always speaks to her in that. Go through Song of Solomon, read Song of Solomon, notice how the young man addresses the young woman each and every time, how Jesus addresses us. He doesn't address us with condemnation. He doesn't address us with accusations. He points out the things that are in our life. Yeah, man, you've been out in the sun but that doesn't change my affection and my, my feelings towards you, my deep emotions towards you. Every single time the young man opens his mouth to speak to the young woman, it's with language just like this. Oh, my beloved, one with me in my garden. And then he says, how marvelous that my friends, the brides-to-be, now hear your voice in song. So what he's saying is those of you who get to spend time with my beloved, you get to hear her voice and talk and, and, the, and you guys are hanging out. And he says, that just makes me so jealous because I want to be the one to be able to hear her voice and spend time with her and have intimacy with her. That's what he's saying. My beloved, how marvelous that my friends, the brides-to-be, now hear your voice and song. And then he says this, now let me hear it again. And then here's the, the young woman's cry. Arise, my darling, come quickly, my beloved. Come and be the graceful gazelle with me. Come, be like a dancing deer with me. I love the imagery. We will dance in the high places of the sky. Yes, on the mountains of fragrant spice. Forever we shall be united as one. When I read this passage, there are two words that really stand out to me that I want to focus on this morning for just a few minutes. And the two words that I want to focus on are in juxtaposition to one another. They appear to be opposites of one another. The first word that you can write down in your notes is this idea of fragrant spice. Fragrant spice. So when we think about fragrant spice, maybe you think of incense, uh, maybe you think of essential oils, maybe you think of like your, your favorite smell in, in the whole world. In the Bible, there's a lot that talks about sense, incense and fragrant spice. And in fact, in the Old Testament, there's even a recipe that the priests were supposed to mix up so that when it came time to make a sacrifice, an incense sacrifice, they were to burn incense on the altar, it would create an, an aroma that would rise that is pleasing to the Lord. And so this idea of, of good smells is all throughout the Bible. And in Song of Solomon, it says here, come let us go on the mountains of fragrant spice. We can mix these spices to create an, an incense and then it can be used as an offering to the Lord. Isn't it funny that, that for the way that humans are wired, our sense of smell has the strongest tie to our memory. 
How many of you can think of a certain smell and it just instantly brings up a, a memory? I think of uh, whenever, whenever I uh, have that smell of being in the mountains after a, a good hard rain, you can smell the trees, you can smell the, the earth, you can, you can smell the, like the pine needles. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That smell after a good hard rain in the mountains. Oh, whenever I smell that smell, it always reminds me of when I lived in uh, right on the edge of Rocky Mountain National Park and these big thunderstorms would roll through there and there were these really tall, like 300-year-old ponderosa pine trees and they always had the, the best smell. You could go up and like smell the bark and they would smell like vanilla and after the rain it just the whole forest smelled like that I think about the smell of Thanksgiving dinner the smell of Thanksgiving dinner always reminds me of family and home and football and naps oh I said it again football I'm so sorry Matt mm, I'm so sorry oh we're all praying for you buddy Whew, uh, maybe 2020 2021 another team, but uh, uh, let's be honest, we were all cheering for the Titans, weren't we? Uh (laughs) I I told him, I told him, uh, hey, 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 easy, easy. It's not Heidi's fault. It's not the girl's fault. It's not Meadow's fault. Just, just save it, save it for hockey season. All right, all right, fair enough. See, this is what I get for talking football. <clears throat> so I also think about one of my other smells that has, that has a profound memory connected with it is the smell of, of ski wax. Like every, every season, you know, a couple times a year, I'll, I'll pull out the gear and I do a terrible job of it, by the way, but it makes me feel good that I can like tune my own skis. Uh, and I, I, I drip that wax on the ski whenever I run that iron over it, the smell of ski wax. Does the smell of ski wax have a special memory for anybody else in here? Okay, yeah, yeah. All right, unless you were a ski tech and then you're like, oh gosh, I still can't wash that out of my clothes. But it's interesting that the, our sense of smell is most deeply connected with our, our sense of memory. And all throughout the Bible, it talks about different spices that can be combined to make these fragrances. And, and it evokes powerful emotions and powerful memories for us. But you have the word fragrance and spice on, on one hand, but then there was the other word that I saw. The other word that really stood out to me was this word mountain. She says, come, let's go dancing on the mountain of spice. So spice means one thing, but then I saw this other word mountain. And throughout the mountain, the, the, the whole Bible is, is meant to be taken with each book the way that the author intended it to. So here's what I mean by that. Some books are historical narrative. This event happened, this event happened. There were this many in the tribe of Dan. There were this many in the tribe of Asher. And and there's nothing symbolic. There's nothing poetic. There's nothing prophetic about that. That was just some historical data. There's also, um, there's also um, re- uh, historical narrative that happens. This event happened and then this event happened and it, and it happened literally. There's prophecy 
There's poetry, and the best way to get the most out of the Bible is to read each book of the Bible with the right pair of glasses on so that you don't read the book of Genesis and you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 with your poetic glasses on, thinking, oh, well, that's just like some nice little uh, Hebrew history story. You'd be, you'd be missing it. That's historical narrative right there. And so in in this book, throughout the Bible, mountains are mentioned a lot. Mountains uh, represent geographic features, but they also have a symbolic meaning attached to them. Mountains most typically symbolically mean opposition. They represent a barrier, something preventing you or a person from going from one place to the next. They represent insurmountable things. They represent something that is beyond attainment. Mountains can also, at the top of mountains, they can also represent achievement. They can represent a connection, a special connection with God. But in general, when you're standing at the base of a mountain, and when you hear mountains being talked about in the Bible, they represent a barrier. And so, as I read these two words, in my mind, the Lord just highlighted the, the opposites of these two words. This idea of, of spice and fragrance and an offering to the Lord, but yet this idea of opposition and an obstacle and insurmountable difficulty. And so how in the world do these two words fit together? And so that's the journey that I've been on the last few weeks, and I've come across this, I've been chewing on this verse for quite some time as he's highlighted it to me. And I said, Lord, how, how are we supposed to reconcile these two words together? What is it, what are you getting at here? And then he took me on a journey, and so I want to take you on just a really quick journey and show you these two different words, how they combine to form a single concept. The first person that I want to tell you about is a guy named Joseph. Joseph, you can read about him in the book of Genesis. His dad loved him, gave him a special robe. God spoke to him in dreams, told him about his future. And then Joseph started telling his brothers about it. His brothers didn't like it because in Joseph's dream, his future was leading and ruling over his brothers. And his older brothers didn't like it because Joseph was the youngest. So they plotted against him. They threw him into an a empty well, a cistern. Then they, they plotted how to, to kill him, but decided not to kill him, but created, fabricated this whole story to tell his dad that he had been torn apart by wild animals, breaking his dad's heart. Joseph was then sold to a caravan traveling down south to Egypt. And what was it that some of the things that they were hauling in that caravan? Spices. Okay, that was cool for me goes down to Egypt where he's sold into slavery and he gets a job at this guy's Potiphar's house. And then from Potiphar's house, he gets thrown into prison and he's in prison for over 12 years. And then after he was in prison for 12 years, he gets promoted to the palace. But in Genesis chapter 39, it's very interesting because it says that everything that Joseph set his hand Two, prospered. And when you look at Genesis 45, kind of the, the climax of that story where Joseph is reunited with his brothers, 
you'd see that Joseph says, but God was doing all of this. God's hand was in all of these circumstances, all of these things to bring about and to accomplish his good will. And I got to be a part of it. And then he tells his brothers, I forgive you guys because it really wasn't about y'all. It was about what God was doing to put me in this place, to prepare a place for you guys to bring you out of Canaan where this famine was happening into Egypt where you'll be taken care of during these seven years of famine. So you have the, the, the mountain of opposition, being thrown into prison, being sold into slavery, being abandoned by your brothers, all of these things that are terrible to have happen. But yet, in that same moment also, there's this sweet fragrance that's being released from Joseph's life. When he says that everything he set his hand to was blessed and it was prospered. And God prospered it. And then later he says, I, I forgive you guys. So you have this mountain of, of difficulty that Joseph was up against, but yet it was in or on this mountain that the fragrance that came out of Joseph's life was blessed and it, and it caused him to prosper. Look at another example. 1 Samuel chapter 30. This, you know, and this one's worth reading together. So with your Bible, turn over, hang a hard left, and let's go over to 1 Samuel chapter 30. It's the, yep, it's the second to last chapter of 1 Samuel. I, I, I love this story. Let's, let's look at it together. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Are you guys clicking around on your phone? Show me your phones. Wow. That is a lot. Listen, you're going to have to do some extra page rattling to make up for it. It's so quiet. I'm like, oh my gosh, nobody has their Bibles. Like, are there even any Christians in here? Okay. The real, the real Christian, show me where you're at. Okay. Okay. Jeez. All right. First Samuel 30. That is, that is impressive. You guys. First Samuel chapter 30. Can you like add like a page turning sound, like turn your volume up on your phone? Oh, you make me nervous. First Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to read in verse one. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. Let's stop right there. That's the mountain. That's the mountain of opposition. That's the mountain of difficulty. That's the mountain of hardship. David had made a mistake in his leadership, in his tactical leadership. He didn't, it, it wasn't a moral mistake. That comes later. But David had, David had gone off on this raid. And while he was gone with his fighting men, these raiders came in and they took everything. And now D David was left with nothing except the rancor of his men aimed right at him and they were ready to kill him. David is on the Mount Everest of hardship in this moment. The people that he had been leading were ready to turn on him and kill him. Now here comes the spice. Here comes the fragrance. 
It says this at the end of verse six, but David found strength in the Lord his God. It's underlined in my Bible so that I can quickly find it as I'm turning the pages. Oh, there's that verse. But David found strength in the Lord his God. So in the midst of that hardship, in the midst of that opposition, in the midst of that difficulty, David turns to the Lord and in fellowship with the Lord finds solace, finds comfort, is able to regain his bearings and his footings. And the end of the story is they go back and they, they, they're able to rescue everything. Spoiler alert, turns out all right for David. But this passage here, but David found strength in the Lord his God. There, there, in Hebrew commentary, when you read that passage, it, the, that passage comes with it the idea of a well-worn path. So I remember when I was growing up in the, in the countryside of Texas, we, we had a horse. The horse's name was Daniel. And uh, I had to go down to the barn and feed and water Daniel every morning and evening. And after a while, there was a little path that got worn uh, on, around all the weeds and tall grass and thing that would go right down to the barn. I knew even in the middle of the night, I could find my way to the barn if I were just on that path because I knew that the path would lead straight to the barn. David had built things into his life. He had a well-worn path of intimacy with the Lord so that even when in the middle of the dark of night, if he just got on that path, he knew that he could find his way to the Lord. In the dark of your night, what paths have you, do you hop on? Do you hop on the paths of, of anxiety? Do you hop on the paths of worry? How well-worn are those paths of, of just trying to dismiss things and, and anesthetize yourself and distract yourself? Is that the path that you, you get on? Or is there a well-worn path to intimacy with the Lord where you come to him and you say, Lord, I just need to be with you. Here's what's going on in my life. Here's, here are my worries, here are my fears, here's how I've messed up, here's how I've blown it. But you get on this well-worn path, it will, it will lead you to the Lord. Last example. We can't talk about the press of hardship without talking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So if David was facing the Mount Everest of hardship at Ziklag, then certainly Jesus was on the north face of K2 of his mountain of hardship while he went to the garden to pray for us on our behalf. It was in, it was in the garden of Gethsemane that he was experiencing opposition, difficulty, and hardship. He was wrestling. He was wrestling and, and, and working through this point of surrender to, so that would prepare him for going to the cross. And we all know the fragrance resulting from the spice that was released from his life, from the choice that he made. In fact, Gethsemane, when you look at that word Gethsemane, it's an Aramaic word and it means the olive press. You guys probably knew this, right? And that's where they would harvest olives and then that's where they would put them in this, this big 
this big round flat vat that had a slope to it. And then they would take a heavy mill wheel and they would drive it around and around in a circle. They would squash the olives and then the olives oil would pour out. And do you know what the very first pour of olive oil is called? Extra virgin olive oil. So whenever you look at that bottle of olive oil and it says extra virgin olive oil, it doesn't mean that he was nice and pure his whole life. It means that it was the very first pressing of olives where you get the, the, the purest, most olive oil from, from the olives. And then they scrape it and they, they take out the seeds and they take out uh, all these other things and then they roll it again and you get a second, third, and fourth pressing of, of olive oil. But the, the extra virgin olive oil is that very first squeeze. And when Jesus was in the garden facing that mountain of hardship, it was there that a sweet fragrance was released from his life that 2,000 years later we're still reaping the benefits from. There is a distinct odor released from the life of a Christian when they find themselves on the mountain of hardship. Okay, I'll say it again. There's a distinct odor released from the life of a Christian when they find themselves on the mountain of hardship. Would you write this verse down? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. But thank God he has made us his captives and he continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a what? A sweet perfume. Verse 15, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we're a dreadful smell of death and gloom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. When you find yourself on a mountain of hardship, and the fragrance of Christ is being released from your life, some people are going to be offended by that. Why do you have, why are you so optimistic about the health diagnosis that I know you just got? Why are you so cheerful about the financial situation that you're in? I don't understand it. And, and for some people, it repels them. But for many, wait a second, you have hope? You have joy? You have, you have peace in this situation? And it's a fragrance that comes off of a Christian's life. Let me land the plane with this. Was it the young man, if we go back to Song of Solomon, Check your attention span. Was it the young man that said, come away with me, let's dance on the mountains of spice? Or was it the young woman? It was the young woman. And here's what's remarkable, remarkable about the young woman saying that, is that at the beginning of Song of Solomon, that was not her attitude at all. 
The young man would come bounding like a gazelle over the mountains. Jesus, easily able to overcome any obstacle, any opposition that's in our life and in our path, like a gazelle, up and over. It's nothing to him. And he comes knocking at the door of the heart of the young woman. And he says, arise with me. Come, my darling. Come away with me to the mountains. And she's like, huh, no. I'm a lot like that young woman. Just be honest with you. I'd rather not be, the only mountains in my life are the ones that I get to ski down. If those were the only mountains in my life, I'd, I'd like that just fine. I have, a, I have a, a tendency to avoid mountains of opposition and obstacles. I'm a lot like the young woman. I don't know, maybe somebody else in here, here is like that as well. I don't look for opposition. I like a nice, smooth road or a steep downhill I can ski. A chairlift. <laughs> I like my mountains to come with chairlifts. Okay, here I am just telling jokes to myself. All right, thank you. <clears throat> but something happened in this young woman. Something happened in the heart of this young woman that you can read about. So that at the end of the story in chapter 8, who is it that's saying, come on, let's go to the mountains. It's the young woman. So there's been something transformative in her heart through encounter with the Lord that has changed her perspective on the mountains of hardship. And it's not like she's a, a, a masochist now looking for hardship, but she has discovered that in the hardship is the greatest intimacy with the Lord. Where was it that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had an encounter with the pre-incarnate Jesus? The furnace. We all want the encounter, but nobody wants the furnace. It's in the mountain. It's as we climb the mountain that there is a fragrance that's released from our life that will change this, that will change your circumstances and will change the circumstances of this city into the uttermost bounds of the earth. to write down in your notes. Uh, look at this little guy. So there's there's a fragrance in here. But then this is like a diffuser. And it like boosts it up. I just wrote this down uh, in my notes and you can put it in your notes. Activating the diffuser of your life. Three things. Number one, realize that when the mountains come at us, they are a chance to release a distinct odor. We can't avoid mountains of hardship, opposition, difficulty in our life. But most of us, when we find ourselves on a mountain, the first thing we want to do is turn tail, run back down the other mountain, back down the side of the mountain. 
you find yourself running and running and running, you're just going to get tired and that mountain is still there. To activate the diffuser in your life, number one, you got to realize that when the mountains come at us, they are a chance, an opportunity to release a distinct odor, the fragrance of Christ. Number two, activating the diffuser of your life. James 2.4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brother, when you face trials, mountains of many kinds, because you know that the climbing of the mountain, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must be mature, must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The mountains in our life, they develop our maturity if we handle them the right way. Instead of what my attitude in high school was, my motto in high school was, avoid a problem long enough and it will just go away. That doesn't work too good being an adult. And here's the third thing. So number one, realize that when mountains come at us, they're a chance to release a distinct odor of Christ. Number two, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. So it's an opportunity to make a choice for joy. Then here's number three, the comfort and strength and fellowship of Jesus is on the mountain. That's where Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego met with Jesus. It was in the furnace. Instead of running from the mountain, the young woman learned that when she finds herself on a mountain, it's an opportunity, like it says in the end here, for a dance. She says, arise, my darling, come quickly, my beloved. Come and be the graceful gazelle with me. Come, be like a dancing deer with me. We will dance in the high places of the sky. Yes, on the mountains of fragrant spice. Forever we shall be united as one. Here's the invitation today. The invitation today is the invitation that Jesus gave the young woman. It's an invitation not to come onto the mountain, but today the, the invitation is to invite Jesus to begin a work of changing a perspective in your heart. If you've thought of mountains and oppositions as difficulty and to be avoided, that might be why you're stuck as like a baby Christian. Love you. Does that make sense? Because you just avoid mountains at every possible turn. That's where you'll, you'll never have that kind of revelation of Jesus. But when you say, all right, all right, all right. Mountains of opposition, difficulty, hardship, maybe it's loneliness, whatever that mountain is, that's an opportunity to encounter Jesus and, and to have the fragrance of Christ released in my life. Oh, I, I, I might need to change my attitude and, and perspective on mountains. That's, that's the transformation that the young woman went through. And that is your invitation that he would extend to you today. Would you stand up with me for just a moment and bow your head? We're going to land the plane with this one. We don't have offering or announcements to go to, so when we're done with this, we're going to let you go. But would you take just a moment, consider what mountain it is that you might be on right now. And then examine 
your current attitude that you've had towards that. Get me off of this thing as fast as possible. And listen. Listen for the cry, the invitation, the call, the beckoning of the young man saying, but it's on the mountain that something amazing, incredible can be released. Listen for his voice in just the stillness of this moment. Just close your eyes and just listen for him.
as I climbed those mountains, I longed to to do the dance with him of revelation and strength and intimacy and breakthrough and encounter with him. Raise your hand. as an act of surrender all across the room for just a moment. Let's just raise our hands to him. Just raise your hands and surrender to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. Father, my hands are raised too, and I ask that you would help to continue to transform my perspective so that as we go through hardship and difficulty, which is unavoidable in this life, God, I ask that you would open our eyes to see that this is an opportunity to release a distinct odor from our life. Nothing that we have to work at in the same way that an apple tree doesn't have to work to grow apples. It just happens. That as we encounter these things, that the fragrance of Christ would be released in our life as we spend time with you, as you whisper to our hearts. Mm. I just feel like the Lord is whispering to my heart right, right now to share with some of you. Uh, Ian and Tony, Dwayne specifically, Chris Baxter, you're on that list. Matt Summers, you're on that list. Corey, you're on that list. That that uh, this year in business is going to be an incredibly sweet fragrance financially and expand I don't know about expansion of your business but but success success in your business the only price is the mountain you got to climb be encouraged <laughs> but just know that that specifically the men that I just mentioned here in this room would say to you this year in business it's going to be a mountain to climb but there will be a fragrance released from your business unlike you have experienced at all ever 
in your careers in business. So Father, we pray over those names that were mentioned in their, in their business. Lord, as they come up against mountains of opposition, meeting payroll, you know, all that, all that stuff. Competition, where it seems like, oh, we just might not make this. Lord, that's the mountain, but it's on that mountain that there is an encounter with you and a fragrance, a distinct odor that can be released. And so, Father, I pray specifically, and all of us in this room, we take just a moment, we join our faith together to pray for those men in this room. Lord, that you would be a good mountain guide for them. You draw close to them. And just before I say amen, which I'm going to do in a minute, uh, we'll just, since we're in this attitude of prayer, I'll just throw in the benediction. I'll pray a blessing over all of you, dismiss you. Before I say amen, let me just say two things. Number one, there's prayer in the back. If there's anything that you need prayer for, members of our prayer team would love to pray for you. Maybe if your name was mentioned and you're like, hey, let's get some extra covering on that. Um, uh, members of our prayer team would love to pray for you, number one. And then number two, don't forget about the tribe groups. Sign up out in the lobby, even if you're just interested in, uh, tell me more about tribe groups. Uh, leadership for tribe groups uh, be great for princes to open up their home for a tribe group hi just might not be of the lord could just be me but i'm just calling you out <laughs> lord jesus i pray for all of my tribe fam i thank you lord for this new year for the beginning that we're going into god i ask that that this week we would be really conscious of the odor that we release and you know what i'm talking about this fragrance of christ to be released in our life. I pray that for my tribe fam so that it will make a difference in their life and the lives of the people of this valley because they so desperately need it. We pray these things in Jesus' name, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen. Hey guys, I love you so very much. I want you to have a great week. Get out there, go skiing, work hard, do whatever you need to do. Just ski fast, take chances. You got this. Oh, oh, oh.